Osiris. Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Loyalty, described as, do you care? And I care, and that's why I'm on this show. Comes a time, here we go. <laughs> I'm a sucker for O'Teal, man. I saw that same feeling that I have, that what he filled a void that I didn't even know existed. It feels so good to, as Ben said, to try to do something about an issue as opposed to complaining. If you can't help, don't hurt. If we could just all get out there and throw cream puffs at each other, maybe things would, instead of bullets and, and <laughs> angry words, it would be better. When you stop laughing, you stop living. There's a worldwide surge in interest in mushrooms. It was deep, man. It's not that TM makes your mind quiet down there. It already is. We're just stuck up here. We've lost access. I'm jumping Jack Flash came out by the stones. So I thought, all right, perfect, man. I'm gonna drive, and I started driving through the neighborhood, and I got, I got a text from Mick Jagger. <laughs> People saying that you know what we do is non-essential. Well, playing those few gigs that yeah. you saw me at felt pretty essential to me. It wasn't like they were clapping from here. Is they were clapping from here. My view of things is that death, death is the last and best reward for a life well lived. Like you gotta, it's the strangest of places if you look at it right, you know? If you're liking what you're hearing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get your bus pass for an extra episode every week. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Comes a Time. That's O'Teal. And that's Mike. How you doing, bud? Good, man. Really good. We had a great conversation with Scott Morowski. Uh I played, he's a guitarist, singer, composer, lyricist, producer, engineer. He does everything. Probably plays a few other instruments too. But he was the person that gave me my introduction to the Grateful Dead. Or by way of Mike Gordon, I guess Mike Gordon gave it to me, but I got to play in that trio, BK3, which was me and Scott Morowski and Bill Kreutzmann. And, uh, but he also plays in Mike Gordon's solo band. Max Creek. Uh, and he had the 50th, his 50th anniversary with Max Creek. 50 which years. Is why we had him on the show. And, uh, we were like, 50 years, man. You got to celebrate that. And, uh, man. What a great dude. Oh, I just love that guy, man. Yeah, he's awesome. This was so cool because they're, they're a New England staple, you know? I mean, like, they've, they're Connecticut heavy and got to see them play a bunch. And uh, I love the energy of Mike's band and him. Like, when I heard that was happening, I was like, how cool. And uh, 
you know, it, it's just, he's got a really awesome story too. Like I loved this yeah. episode, loved listening to him and he's got a voice that I could just listen to him talk on. <laughs> like I could let, read the phone book to me, Scott, you know, I'll listen. <laughs> he sounds just like John Medeski. When we were, when he was talking, I was like, okay, wait a minute. I feel like someone else is talking about, I closed my, I was like, it's Medeski. And he's like, well, we're definitely related. Medeski and Morowski. I was like, oh yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, but it's so cool to think about Mike Gordon being this young kid, you oh, know, yeah. watching Max Creek. Scott's one of his heroes. I know. Wait until you guys hear the story. Just so oh. incredible. We don't want to ruin it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is another one where uh, we don't want to give spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Scott, for joining us. And thanks everybody for listening. We're on Osiris. Hope home to so many great podcasts go to osirispod.com for those and if you want more of us join us on patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod for a bonus episode every week hope you guys are doing well and staying safe and taking care of each other we love you and thank you for joining us again that shirt dude so <laughs> there's a, a internet radio station in san francisco called soma fm and they play um psychedelic music <laughs> no no actually no it's actually not they have a they have a bunch of different stations basically with different genres um the most popular one is called groove salad and it's kind of like Kind of like electronica, but kind of mellow. And then they have a, they have a, like a, a dream pop channel. And then they have like, um, they have a covers channel where people do weird cover, you know, like people covering different things. And they have a, a doom channel, which is like, like deep, dark metal music. But this channel is suburbs of Goa, which is like Indian techno. Trance, Whoa. not not trance or whatever. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but it's, it's it just got some cool different music going on. The name Soma FM makes me think it's like sleep music, like tranquil, meditative, kind of relaxing. Well, Soma's of- that drink that supposedly all the ancients used to drink and then have wild, far out psychedelic or religious experience, whatever. You know, yeah. that's why I thought psychedelic. <laughs> Huh, interesting. I didn't know what Soma was, but I like their channel. I like their music. It's a cool name. I think it's also (laughs) a name of a sleeping pill. Oh, yeah. That's true. (laughs) I mean, and and most of the channels are, they're pretty mellow. They're pretty, you could definitely sleep or do other things. I'm just now realizing that your voice is almost exactly to me like John Medeski's. Wow. Huh, interesting. I've never spoken with John Medeski. You can, I would love to get you two together and just be like, listen to your team. Well, we, it seems like we may have the same ancestry. Medesky, you know. Oh, like, yeah, uh, wow. Right? right? Yeah. Wow. You ski people. <laughs> Him and Krasno right have there. the same birthday. We got to find out. What, what's your birthday, man? I'm going to be looking October, up birthdays. Tw- October 21st. Same as Dizzy Gillespie. And huh. same actual day as Carrie Fisher. Ooh. Oh, wow. wow. Cool. Yeah. I like I it. Sorry, I'm going to look this up real quick. <laughs> so, uh, you know, one of the things that's tough about getting older 
Oh. It's these anniversaries that have more and more. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. They get bigger and bigger. Like, I'm not even going to think about my high school. And I graduated in 82, and I just don't want to count. It's Have depressing. you been to a reunion? I haven't been to one. I so to go to, to like, the 50th all of a sudden would be like. <laughs> to, yeah, so what's that? 92. Or 40th. 40th. Yeah. yeah 40th. I graduated in 74. <laughs> my 50th will be coming up in a couple of years and I don't think I'll be going <laughs> it's like know. that ship has sailed yeah if you've kept in touch yeah. with anybody from high school it's like that's all you need you know that's it. I do have one friend that I met in junior high school and he lives not far from here and we still get together and he's just, he was a, we were in the high school band together. He was a sax player. And so we still get together and drink wine and record music together. It's kind of fun. Oh, that's neat. freaking awesome. Yeah. 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 I'm blessed. So, I got a lot of, I have a, I have a little pocket of really great friends from high school that we've kept all the way through. And it's cool because you can kind of like just step out of reality and just go right back to whatever that, you know, unconditional friendship love is, you know, yeah, it's really totally. cool. It's like you go it's, right back to being 17 or 18. It's actually very cool in like full circle kind of way. So, so as a, as an example, if I feel, let me babble for a minute, there's, there was this, there was this band that would, that, um, before I was in Max Creek, be like when I, we were in junior high school, I think. And, um, we had this album from from a lo- regionally like pretty big band back in the back in the day called Fat, and the album was kind of they ended up they opened for the Almond Brothers in the Almond Brothers very early days, and <clears throat> and so we had this album and we loved it, and then that was kind of the end of the story. I don't think I ever got to see him or whatever, but recently their guitar player retired, 
And somebody reached out to me to, uh, to sub for a couple of gigs. And so I'm like, oh, my God, I had your guys album, you know, when I was a kid or whatever. And so it was kind of and it was also kind of cool to be the youngest guy in the band. too. <laughs> but um, but that was like a full circle thing where my friend Dave and I used to listen to this album together. And now he just came like over the over the weekend. He came to the gig where I was playing with that band. So it's been kind of, so that's kind of a full circle thing that you can share with somebody that was there in the beginning. You know, that's so cool, man. Yeah. That's so really how many years anniversary is this with Max Creek? So the band is 51 years old. I, I joined one year in, so it's my 50th year with the band. Jeez. That's... And started in the 71. Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. I've seen you guys at Toad's Place a ton. And oh, yeah, all oh cool. Those. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, so, man. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean... It's, so yeah, I was a sophomore in high school when I joined the band. Oh, wow. we need pictures of that. Pictures. I have, I have pictures. Okay, you got to email so I get them to Eric so we can flash <laughs> that on the screen. <laughs> so what year was that? That was 72, 72? 72, yeah. I was six years old. Wow. So being you a weren't soft- here yet, were you? <laughs> no, I was uh, negative seven, I think. Um but being a sophomore in high school and being in a band is only something I think that it's like such a 72 story. You know what I mean? Like to me, that makes complete sense. I mean, well, so in my high school, it was like a, it was like a town full of jocks and I was like an outcast. There weren't that many hippies, you know, so, so I had my small circle of friends or whatever. But, you know, I was like. You know, as a sophomore in high school, I was playing clubs and everything. And then, you know, and then the next day I'd go into high school and it was, it was like going back to, you know, I was hanging out. The rest of the guys were all in college. And so, you know, when we were playing, you know, bars that are full of bikers and stuff like that. And everybody's like, everybody's older. And I'm like this kid, like just kind of in awe of the whole thing. And then to go back to high school and have it, it was like, I don't know, it's like romper room. Or something. It's like the Cinderella when her carriage turns back into a pumpkin. Exactly. exactly. turns back into a school bus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you look young? Did were you a young looking kid? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I actually looked a little older when I was younger, so which was helpful. Back in that day back in those days the drinking age was eighteen. And so that that actually got thrown out of the band for a little while because because you know I I, I could get into the clubs and, and even though I was 15, I looked 18 at least, you know, and the drinking age was 18 and nobody said anything. But so they had, but the band had this one kind of regular gig that they did every Saturday night in Hartford. And they were kind of friendly with the club owner. And they said, Hey, you know, we got this, we just, because, because it was, it was a regular gig and they were friends. They're like, we're going to tell them what your age is. And so they said, Oh, that's no problem. It's not a problem. And so when I first joined the band, I only, I, they just wanted me for my lead guitar chops. I played on like 10 songs and then I would go sit out, you know, in, in at a table and I'd get a beer and drink, <laughs> drink a beer, you know, when I wasn't playing or whatever. And that the club saw me drinking a beer at 15 and they're like, he's banned, he's banned from the club. And so that was their regular gig. So I guess I was out for a little while but oh man <laughs> yeah My and we had a good. fake 18th birthday party for me and got me back in and- <laughs> <laughs> that's great so you, you were know, already a hippie by then like had you seen your first dead show already no 
No. Because I love, he knows exactly. When was your first dead show? Yes. Uh, Springfield Civic Center, June 1974. So, oh, wow. So, yeah, single drummer kind of thing. It was the, that, that, that short era where Garcia had shaved his beard. He didn't have a beard. That was um, the Wall of Sound time. Wall too, of Sound. Right? Yeah, I got oh, to see the Wall of Sound. You a saw times. the walls. Oh, yeah. We yeah. actually just chatted with a guy who is building a replica of the Wall of Sound. It's called Mini Wall of Sound. I'm not sure if you've seen this. I've seen that. Yeah. 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 We talked to him yesterday, and uh, we were talking to, about. We were chatting offline, like God awesome to talk with someone who experienced the wall of sound and just you know <laughs> and here you are <laughs> uh, yeah it was it was a i got to see it i think three times i got to see it at springfield wow. civic center i got to see it at uh dylan stadium in hartford um oh, yeah and outdoors i mean it was like yeah. you close your eyes and it was like it was like it sounded like europe 72 i mean it was just sounded so good God. amazing so we were so so the experience when I joined Max Creek, it was a three-piece country rock band, and they were doing they were doing some original material, but they were covering like Jonathan Edwards and Crosby, Stills and Nash and that kind of stuff. And then, mm. <clears throat> and so I kind of filled, and they were doing some a bunch of bluegrass stuff, and so I kind of filled in and like learned how to. I was like into like Led Zeppelin and 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 Roy Buchanan and stuff like that, and they they taught me how to like play in major pentatonics instead of blues licks or whatever. And then in 73, I was too young, but they all went to Watkins Glen and they saw the dead at Watkins Glen and came back and they were like, mind blown. And the Almond Brothers. And the Almond Brothers. Exactly. Yep. So Mm. we, so when they come back from what, what we realized is that, you know, we were doing covering like some Woody Guthrie stuff and some traditional stuff and the dead were, were also covering like the same tunes. And so we kind of changed how we were doing them to be more like that or whatever. And Mm. then, so then I got to see them in 74 and saw the, saw the wall of sound and stuff. And we were very, uh, gear minded. And so we built our own wall, this tiny wall of sound where we had the PA behind us. We went out and got, um, some of us worked at, I didn't, but some of us worked at a uh, high end audio store. So we got these, these Nakamichi, um, really nice microphones. And then we put them through a, a frequency analyzer and matched to the ones that were close to the close to in frequency. So we got these pairs of Nakamichis that we made special cases for so that they, we would put them parallel next to each other and wire them out of phase. And then we had, um, and so we had a, a PA system that was crossed over four ways, and that was all stacked behind. I have pictures of this too, all stacked behind That's what us. I was going to ask. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we like, have pictures we of this. And so we we kind of we made our own snakes, and and you know we did all the wiring ourselves. And so I mean, and this was back in the day when clubs venues didn't have PA systems, and so we would you know everybody was carrying their own PAs anyway. Oh, wow. Rolling in, yeah. So we come in rolling in with these things, and we had you know all this uh, built this build this wall of sound behind the stage and it, it was kind of kind of mind-blowing that we were able to, able to do that we had the the high end were these Heil air motion transformers the, these tweeters that were like they each one weighed 50 pounds and they had like two aluminum blocks and then all this like all the all these ribbons going down between them that was like the the tweeter of the of the uh, sound system it was just it was just Damn. crazy that's, that's awesome so- yeah, it was fun. 
totally such a cool thing about bands that like, you know, when you, before you have a crew or before you have anybody that's like volunteering even to like help with your rig or anything like that, you know, that's the cool thing about musicians is like, you, you know how to play and you know how to write tunes, but you also got to know, oh yeah you know, if something shorts in the middle of a song at that level in your career, you got to like call a timeout, run back, try to rig it up. You know, I mean, yep. you're like, yeah, four- you have to be, you have to be somewhat of an engineer, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. that's why I don't have giant pedal boards. Cause it, it's like with my band or with any band at this point, <laughs> maybe I'll do it with Den Company, but it's like without a tech, it's like, if something goes, I'm like, man, this could take yeah. Oh, now you try to figure oh, yeah. out which one of these chords shorted out. Yeah, when you got a whole the... stadium of people waiting. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's like, it's, oh, it's, man. Too many points of failure. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool, man. Well, we got to tell the fans about how we met, because honestly, man, if it wasn't for you, and I have to give Mike Gordon credit, too, mm-hmm. I don't think I'd be in Dead & Company, you know? Yeah. That's because, cool. Because uh, we... Uh, did that trio together. Right, and I, right. Talk about that b- before I got there. So, yeah, so, you know, Mike and I had been friends for a long time, and Mike started texting me. He's like, I'm in Hawaii, and I'm playing with uh, Bill Kreutzman and Steve Kimmock, and he's like, I wish you were here. I wish you could hear this, and blah, blah, blah. And then he texted me later on. He's like, we have to do this. We have to do this. You have to be – we have to be part of the time. I never met uh, – Bill, Billy before. And so then not long after that, I got a phone call from him and he said, so wondering if you want to play in a trio with me and Bill Kreutzmann in Costa Rica to do a benefit for the school system down there. And I said, you know, let me think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What a sentence. And and so I said, yeah, please, please, you know, so so it's really funny. We we were all supposed to meet at, at you know in San Jose and then meet a van and drive to Hako to play this this festival and then or this 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 benefit. And um, I got there and and found the van and everything. And Mike's plane was delayed. So and so basically, me and Bill Kreutzmann are stuck in this van together and we've never met each other before. And now we're going to play in a band together. And it was like you know this this guy's been my hero for a hundred years. You know, and it's like. Yeah. And we had this hour and a half drive together. I'm like, oh, hi, I'm Scott. You know, it was like real super uncomfortable. And then, and you know, I I told him, I told him that, uh, you know, I started seeing you guys in '74, uh, the single drummer. It's my favorite era. You know, and he, he was like, whatever. So, and so we did the benefit, and it was fun. We had a great time. And then afterward, Billy was like, oh, we got to do more of this. We got to do more of this. And Mike's like, nah, I can't do this. I got I got my own stuff going on. And so Bill said, well, do you mind if I put together, you know, if I do something with Scott, do you mind if I do that? And Mike's like, no, I have no problem with that at all. And and Billy said, can you suggest a bass player? And I think Mike took like a few days to think about it. And then he got back and said, and suggested you, Otiel, and said, I think he called you up and said, you, you have to do this, right? You have to try this. He, it was a really interesting call because he said, Otiel, I can't do it. And I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like, you really have to know what this feels like. Which is exactly what I told James Casey when he called me before the Hawaii stuff that he was like, I don't know this whole, you know, like I know Trey and stuff and all that. And I was like, you really should know what it feels like. Because there's, you know, there's no, I can't describe it. No, it's subjective. It's like describing a flavor. Yeah. And you just got to know. And once you know, 
It's like, you know, yep. remember how it was with us when we would tune up and the tuning every into- time we got together, <laughs> turned into a 20 minute jam. Yep. Thank God Freitas was recording all that stuff. Oh, I'd yeah. love to go back and listen to those first tuning up jams now with oh, some yeah. distance, you know? Yep. The, um, so a couple things. I remember the first time that we got together to rehearse in Boston, we rented that rehearsal space and I was unbelievably nervous and really? we got in there. Yeah. I was super nervous. Are you kidding? <laughs> and uh, I'd never, cause I'd never met you before. And Billy, I only knew from Costa Rica that one experience or whatever. And so, so you had one gig with him before. I thought you guys had done a bunch yeah, no, of gigs. It was just, no, it was just that one gig. Wow. And how much time had passed between that one gig and this Boston wow. rehearsal? Not like maybe f- a few months, maybe. I think the Costa Rica thing was in January, and I think the first rehearsal might have been in March of the same year or May of the same, something like that. Something yeah, because like I was in the studio doing Jimmy Herring's solo record when I got the call, and I was like, wow, this is crazy. Nice. I remember wow. we played, I think we, we the first th- tune we played was Eyes of the World, and then at the end of it, we just went off for like 40 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> and at the end, we were all like looking at each other like, Love first what sight. was that? What was that? <laughs> That's why I told James Casey that, because this thing would just happen. And it was super, like now that I'm older and I've all Ram dust out and be here now, you know, it was just like... It was such an in-the-moment thing. It's not like I hadn't had that with the colonel or with my brother because right. we have such a strong connection. But to have it with that way, with two people I'd never played with before, hadn't met but well, I don't know, we might have met at some point on a festival way a long time ago with the colonel or something. I, I, but. I don't think we met, but I, I know <gasps> you, Aquarium Rescue Unit played our festival, Camp Creek, once. <laughs> That's right. That's but right, I but I don't think we met. I think the I think I met you the the day of that rehearsal. In the, in yeah, the, uh, and those wow. jams were just like we we're like, well, this is definitely something just happened. Yeah. I don't know what this is a thing, you know. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. let's backtrack though. You said I was I had been friends with Mike Gordon for a long time. When did you meet? Was yeah. was he coming to see you with Max Creek? Is that what the deal? He was, was? coming to see Max Creek, but before Fish and and. Uh, like, awesome. and then he, he, he was coming to see us. He, and he's from, he's from Massachusetts and he would come to see us in Boston. And then he went to school in Vermont and he would send his dad to our gigs with a tape recorder to record our, to record Max Creek shows. Right. So, so you were one of his heroes. Yeah. Wow. Yes. This is yeah. great. <laughs> it's interesting. So. So I guess we had met a few times before, but I had not, I didn't remember. But my first memory of meeting Mike was he came in, came to a gig and he handed me a cassette and he handed me a piece of sheet music. And so it was Max Creek's recording of one of my originals, Emotional Railroad. And he had written out my guitar solo, transcribed my guitar solo. And the cassette that he gave me was the recording of Max Creek playing Emotional Railroad on the left channel and him playing bass to it on wow. the right channel. 
So he goes, hi, I'm Mike, and here. <laughs> like, this is what this is. And I'm like, man, this, this guy's got a lot of time on his hands. But, <laughs> but it was kind of amazing. Definition to see of super one, fan right there. Huh? Yeah. I mean, it was kind of amazing to see one of his, one of my solos written out. And I think he did similar, something similar with uh, Leo Kaki. I think he had given uh, Leo yeah. a recording of Leo, one of Leo's tunes with Mike playing bass on the other channel to kind of say, hey, you know, I think we could play together kind of a thing. Wow. And both of those happened. Yeah. And both of those Go happened. Ahead, What's man. that? The, the, the sincerest form of flattery is... Uh what is it? Transcribing. Transcribing <laughs> someone's song. I think that's how that goes, right? I think that's the old saying. <laughs> that's so cool, though, man. You're in good company. Leo, you and Leo Kaki, like, damn. Yeah, can't complain. I mean, you're can't a stud. Complain. We all know no, I mean, that. I'm very, very lucky, to, you know, to meet and play with, you know, my heroes. And, you know, the, the, it's been very... It's been educational too, you know, like I've learned so much from, from the people that I've played with throughout my career. I'm very grateful to the experiences that I've been able to have. So I love who, the stuff that you do with Mike. Like that, that band yeah. is a lot of fun. I mean, with Johnny Kimmock, who plays with, with that, me yeah. now too. Yeah. Yep. Johnny's awesome. And Robert He's Walter, awesome. who's now oh. out with Roger Waters. Woohoo. Yeah, which is insane. Amazing. Yeah, it's so cool. We just had him on. He was talking about that a little bit. Oh yeah, it, that's the cool part when you start to get older. You get to play with some of your heroes. Now, who are some of your other heroes you've gotten to play with? Well, I've gotten to play with the Almond Brothers. I mean, I had I had Live at the Fillmore when I was a kid. I used to stare at the album cover while I was listening to it. So that was very cool. Um, we got to open for so many people. Uh, we opened for Bruce Ormsby, uh, yeah. opened for Toy Caldwell. Oh, um, man. You know, that that's awesome, such dude. a mind-blowing experience. You know, you know, like Marshall Tucker's been like, oh, yeah, I like Marshall Tucker. I like those songs or whatever. But then he came in, and he's the writer of all those songs. Yeah. And, and, you know, it just hit after hit after yeah. hit after hit. Like, oh, this is a great song. This is a great song. This is a great song. Just yeah. mind-blowingly good. So. That was that was a cool experience. I just um, did a record with Paul Riddle, the original drummer, and it's called Toy Factory. Oh, really? And it's all and with Marcus King. Oh, yeah. And uh, and, and Charlie Starr from Blackberry Smoke. And uh, man, it's really he he. I get all these toy call and Tommy, his brother, was the bass player. Mm-hmm. And um, I get so many great stories, man. And I get great Almond Brothers stories because he was like, they pulled him out of high school. And oh, wow. basically, yeah, yeah. his dad had a real chemistry with JMO, and JMO was like out there, you know, bones and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And his, <laughs> his dad made JMO promise him that he would look out for him. And JMO did. He very much was like, don't do all this. He was a kid. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, man, I want you to meet him oh, and play cool. with him because uh, oh, when we go tour that, I got to get you to come out and sit oh, in on that because you'll really, he would love to like talk to you about toy forever. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> that's so cool, man. I went to English Town and saw, that was the new writers, Marshall Tucker and the Dead. Ooh, that was pretty awesome. Man. Yeah. Oh, I got it. Is that all out? That's got to be on archive. I got to yeah. go. Oh, yeah. That's. I think that they released that, that as a yeah, they uh, released Dave's it. picks oh. or a Dave's picks. I can't remember which, but yeah. God, you saw this stuff. 
Yeah. Live. Well, the New New England live music too is just like, it's just even from, you know, like growing up going to Toad's Place and seeing like, you know, then to the Coliseum and all that, like New New England spoiled in the sense Mm -hmm. like bands really throw down when they come here. Seems What's well, all the their case, most popular area? Like the dead are the most popular there in that corridor. And the Almond Brothers, same thing, though they're from the deep south. They're you know, so yeah. It's just like a magnet up yep. there. It's cool. very good to me. And also, like, you know, you listen to interviews with Jerry and some of the other members of the dead, and they would talk about like the Fillmore West versus the Fillmore East, and almost like they felt like when they came to New York, they had to like earn the crowd getting up and Pigpen had to be like, get up everybody and get on your feet and dance or Bobby had to, and they would. And it was like, they felt like they actually were earning it here, you know, like on the East coast where they felt like the West was maybe a little bit too easy in some ways. <laughs> and that's the, theoret- the theoretical, theoretical best dead recording ever is that Cornell tape, right? That yeah. kind of Cornell recording. And it, that's just electric. That, that just, that's oh just, Oh my God out of control yeah i mean even some of like the fish shows in like the the late mid to late 90s were just like at worcester and providence and hartford just amazing i I get that i did get to sit in with fish at at great great woods because that's that's Mm. what i'll always call it regardless of what they say me too i don't even know what it's called now Screw all that. Oh, Twitter, 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 no. <laughs> Twitter Center, what please. Now? That, that was, was my first there. gig oh, with Xfinity the Almond Brothers. Yeah. Ah, that's right. That's yeah. right. They changed it from really? Twitter. That was your first Almond Brothers gig was there? First Almond Brothers gig, I believe it was June 6th, 6, 6, uh, 97. And um, yeah, I have super, super good heart. You know, when I play there with Dead & Company now, it's like, wow, I think I... Go Full back circle. or even to Whore Tour before Oh yeah. Almond Brothers. Oh. So Man, Mash Creek turned down Horde Tour. Like one of the uh. most, <laughs> one of like one of the dumbest decisions we ever made. Oh my god. Any we would have man, we would have hooked oh, yeah. up then. Totally. Totally. Well, it all worked out good. Some things you just can't prevent. Like they're just gonna come together no yes. matter what happens. So you, were you playing so you weren't playing in Mike's band when we did uh, BK3. Mike had just started the band at that point. <laughs> like he had that. That was the thing when when Bill asked him if he could if we he wanted to do more gigs. Mike had said, "I'm starting my own band, and so I can't really do that." And then and then Mike called me up like two weeks later and said, "You want to be in my band?" <laughs> and, and so so that it was just starting out at that point. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Man. That's been, and that's been a great experience too, being able to, mm-hmm. you know, collaborate with Mike and, you know, he, you know, to, we started writing together in like 2009. We started getting, he would, and you know, he's up in Burlington and I'm down in Worcester. And so he would find these places in New Hampshire, halfway between, he'd find these, like, we, one of them was a tree house or, you know, cabin on the lake or whatever. Of course. <laughs> and at first we would like, let we would bring Everything we bring all this. I bring every guitar and bass that I had, and he and he would bring like little drum kits, and we just bring everything into this cabin. And then eventually we, and it took us like f- a few of those sessions to come up with the, all of the material that's on Overstep, the first album that we wrote together. Um, and then we've since streamlined it so that now it's like a, it's like, <laughs> it's like a MacBook. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, two acoustic guitars and maybe an acoustic bass, and that's all we bring, and and it goes much faster. And so, 
it's been a, it's been a real educational process, like, like in collaboration and, you know, like the attitude we go in is like, we, there's no ego. We serve the song, whatever's the best for the song. That's, that, that's how we make the decisions. And so <clears throat> it's kind of this process now where we go together for a weekend or two and, and come up with all this music. And then we meet on zoom uh, every Wednesday night and, 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 pound out lyric work on lyrics together. Um, and wow. so that's how we did the next couple of albums. He's cause he's got one that's, that's, that's in the can that's ready to come out soon. But so that it's been, that's been a very educational experience. And then the touring with him and getting to play with, uh, you know, the caliber of musicians, you know, Rob, playing with Robert Walter and Johnny Kimmock and Craig and percussionists. They're just, they're just a caliber of musician that, it's so much fun to play Such with. Such an you know incredible I mean? band. Yeah. yeah. The shows are so fun. Yeah. I don't think I've played with the percussionists before, but I've played with Robert Walter a fair amount. You know, yeah. just like New Orleans or Denver jam sessions and uh, and the, the, uh, with Johnny Kim. Uh, what a super band, dude. Yeah, really. yeah, Johnny's awesome. The percussionist, Craig, he's like, um, he one of one of the things he plays in the show is the Ngoni, which is like a oh yeah, like a chora. So he went to uh, I think he went to Mali and lived there for months and got you know wow. learned the language and got familiar with the people and they kind of taught him how to play and how to make the Ngoni. So he he makes yeah. the Ngonis that that he plays. I so. need to talk to him because Ngoni, you know, <laughs> I picked up banjo when my wife moved to Africa. Yep. First year we were married and. Um, the Ngoni is the original banjo. Um, oh yeah, yeah you know no. that's why it's so ironic that uh, you know banjo it will be forever associated with like rednecks and unfortunately racists, which there are a lot of banjo players and bluegrass musicians that are not racist, and I, they're all friends of mine, or a lot of them are, you know. Yeah. But that instrument comes from Africa. Right, know? right. Like, yep. Ironically without, enough. Without slavery, he wouldn't have had yeah. any bluegrass, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Just gone, you know. It's like, wow. That's such a cool instrument, too, man. I just played with Weedy Brema and uh, his bass player, Chuck Ndoye, is from Senegal. And he has an Angoni electric bass that he made. That and thing is so cool. It's, that blue note. Whoa, yeah. Man, those, oh, that's crazy. All of them, no matter what size from this big to this big, they sound just like such an ancient sound. You know? Well, now we have a light up one. You know, the, the, <laughs> the other thing that's cool Gordon. about working with Mike, he's like, you know, he's always looking for innovation and ways to make things uh, unique and special. And you know, we we do this thing every every we we go for a walk once a year, and then the, the the topic of discussion is without any limitations, either financial or 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 technical or whatever, with no limitations. What do you want to do? You know, that kind of thing. And so that's wow. how we came up, come up with d different ideas, like the light up guitars and the, with the moray screens on them and yeah. the, 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 uh, the real, the, the thing we used to pass out into the audience and have them jam with the band with and stuff. It's, so it's, it's, it's kind of cool to, to, to have somebody that has the kind of resources that Mike has and be able to say, let's try this regardless of what it is. You know what I mean? And he'll get together. I mean, obviously the financial aspect of it, he'll take care of that, but also he's able to, he seems to be able to pull together people of, you know, when we did the real, we pulled in uh, this guy, John Cohn, who was an IBM fellow and, you know, all these people that are, that are like 
super geeks, you know, that they really know the technology. When he needs the technology, he can find the people that, that <laughs> know it and can get things, you know, done in that, in that aspect. So that, that's very cool. Yeah. And in fact, to tie some things back, um, the, the sound stuff that we're using, we actually worked with Dan Healy to design the, the, some of the stage stuff that he came down in and he, you know, like the, <clears throat> the drums have, have mics built into them for triggers. And so that, so to trigger, uh, gates so that instead of using the actual mic for the gate or whatever. So, you know, that's kind of his design and, um, the pads that we step on to when we walk up to the microphone that engage the microphones. And then he had this, he came up with this, I've never heard of this before, this microphone for the guitar amplifier. That was a, it wasn't, it didn't respond to air. It responded to electromagnetic energy. And so he said, he's like, <laughs> Healy's funny. He's like, you can, you can shoot a gun next to this mic and it won't pick it up because you put it in front of the speaker. It picks up the magnetic, magnetic vibrations of the speaker and picks it up that way. I'm like, it's like okay. Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yes, it's such a great drug. <laughs> we got to get you, uh, you and Mike with Melvin Seals and his light up organ. Cause man, oh, yeah. <laughs> when we play the Warfield with Melvin, it's a whole nother ball game. He breaks out the way when he lights that thing up, man, it's just like, you know. yeah, the That's visual awesome. aesthetic of your band with Mike is so fun too, because it's like, you know, I mean, you go see fish and it's like, obviously Kuroda is like the fifth member and all the lights oh, are yeah. just so such an integral part of it. But you guys have almost kind of like, it's it's high tech and sci-fi, but it's also kind of like feels minimalist in a way. You know yeah. what I mean? Like the lights in the room are always, it's a darker thing. You let the instrument be the light and you let the, you know, mic sneakers and stuff like that, you know, it's like, like Tron. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. Cause you know, it's like, we have to wear dark clothes. You, that's, that's one of the rules. Can't have any logos, any, any writing on your t-shirt or anything like that. There's like all these rules. Then Mike shows up with his bright green sneakers. I'm like, okay, <laughs> so I guess all bets are off on that. But, um, yeah, so it's very, yeah, it's a very cool thing. The guitars that we use are, have DMX, um, receivers in them. So the lighting guy is controlling the light up guitars too, which, so oh, wow. they have some built in stuff that they do, but, but it's when we're, when we're on for the, for that part of it, the lighting guy is controlling everything. So it's all, it can all be coordinated and everything. So really awesome. I think that might freak me out a little bit if I was playing all of a sudden my bass starts going, okay. Yeah. It's a little bizarre. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at SmartWool. For more than 25 years, SmartWool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They are here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good. I want to go back a minute if it's okay and just ask you, because I was thinking since you said it about how they were, Max Creek tapped you for your solo chops as a sophomore in high school. So, I mean, you're, you're 15 years old, peeling and, you know, Already when did you start playing? And like, did it, was it something that just picked up right away? Were you instantly soloing or did, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. the guitar just kind of happened naturally. I, 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 yes. It did. So 
my first instrument's piano. When I started, when I was eight, I started taking piano lessons. And then through school, and when I was in, when I was 10, I started playing trumpet. And then when I was 11, I went over a friend of mine's house, got in trouble because I wasn't supposed to take the bus, <laughs> whatever. And I got over there and he's like, oh, check this out. And he reaches under his bed and he pulls out an electric guitar and he plugs it into one of those silver tone amps with the six ten inch oh, speakers, yeah. you know, yeah. and like plugs it in. And he, like the kid couldn't play it. He played with his thumb on the, on the neck. He was like, rah, 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 rah. but I was like enthralled. And so I went home and I said to my mom, I'm like, I have to have an electric guitar for my birthday or whatever. And she's like, no way. And so but then I did get the guitar when I was 12. So to, to make a long story, even longer, I started when I was 12. I kind of like was infatuated for a little while for like a month and then went into the closet. And then maybe a year later, um, I tuned it down to, to bass levels. I started trying to play bass on the guitar, then back yeah. into the closet. And then, I don't know, I, then I joined a high school band, like a, a band with a bunch of friends of mine I played keyboards in, I um, played organ. Huh. And then, I don't know, I, I just kind of played it in my basement. I was really into, like uh, like I said before, I was really into Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Page's guitar work. I was into Roy, I was into the blues, really liked Roy Buchanan. Um, and so, <clears throat> so I could play all this blue stuff. Uh, and it, it, it came relatively naturally, naturally. Um, kind of new music, you know, like from playing the piano and, the, and playing the trumpet, I kind of knew what was going on and how to figure things out on the guitar or whatever. And I think I had one kid show me like a, like I, I figured out some runs on my own. And then this kid came over and picked up my guitar and played somewhere different on the neck. And I was like, Oh, lights went off or whatever. And so, so I could, I could play around, but when, when I joined Max Creek, I had no idea what bluegrass was and I, I, and wasn't really listening to the, at the time there was, there was a lot of like, there was a lot of folkish rock and roll going on. There was, you know, there was Crosby, just Nash and Poco and, you know, the new uh, pure Prairie league and all that stuff. There was a lot America, of yeah. that influence, but I wasn't into it at the time. And then they asked me over to jam and I, you know, they started playing a bluegrass tune and I started doing all these blues licks and they're like, no, you know, <laughs> major pentatonic. Yeah. So, so I think because I could do that, like I, it was pretty easy for me to switch over from playing blues to playing bluegrass style stuff that, 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 that was where they were impressed. And so wow. they already had a guitar player, but the guitar, their guitar player like wasn't a lead player at all. He was very, he was very folky. In fact, he still plays. He's very much into like ragtime guitar and stuff like that. Mm. He's very acoustic oriented or whatever. So I think they wanted me because there wasn't really anybody who was playing lead guitar at the time. Wow. So It's not really easy for most people to switch from blues to bluegrass or from anything to, to bluegrass, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because it's a it's a it's a thing. Like I, I've, you know, I've watched some really good guitarists be like, okay, uh, you know, I, could, I should be able to do this. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I won't say that I was a good bluegrass player. I could play major pentatonic pretty, pretty quick, but I wouldn't say I was, you know technically a bluegrass player but yeah i mean but you could like you could i could adopt you could keep up with it's a it's a different thing like i'm not really a bluegrass player but they like me to play like 
you know, I treat a lot of it as dominance. And so I just approach them like jazz heads or something. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've heard and you play bluegrass. You oh, we've done it together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a, a fair amount. <laughs> what an amazing experience for a musician too, at 15 to be able to like, you know, how many years did people just stay in their basement and play? Yeah. You know, and you're able to get out and kind of experience the professional part of it so early. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was the first three, I remember the first three gigs that I played. One was in a club with a bunch of bikers. I was shitting my pants the whole time, you know, 15 years old. And I was all these bikers and they're actually dancing to the music. I'm like, okay, this is is, okay. Bikers dance. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Back, crazy. Uh, back then they did. Then um, <laughs> the second gig was um, <laughs> a student nurse's graduation party. And I think I was playing and and there was no stage. We were playing on the floor and I, we were in, I was in the middle of playing a song. And one of the student nurses danced over and just just buried her face in my face, just stuck her tongue down my throat. I was like, okay. So You're much for the piano star. and the trumpet. I'm, <laughs> the, the guitar is it for me. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. That Student nurse. <laughs> that, that was nurse it. concert yeah. seals the deal. <laughs> Sold. Candy stripers. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so great. You can't make out with a trumpet player. He's too busy playing the trumpet. That's right. That's right. I would have been, yeah, it wouldn't have happened. Wouldn't have happened. So how did you, you know, I love, I'm always uh, happy about my compatriots that make it to our age, you know, and one of our themes on the podcast is mental health. So how did you navigate, what was your drug, you know, story? Because you start, you got in there 15, you're drinking at 15. You know, Mm -hmm. I started playing bars when I was 15. I couldn't drink, but um, I had my first drink really till 17. And really started drinking at 19 when I was in bars playing like for a living, trying to pay rent. Mm-hmm. And um, how did you, how did that go for you? Because you were in the dead, you know, I mean, it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, so <clears throat> when I was about 18, I did an experiment where I played a set sober and I played a set you know, drinking and listened back to both and said, okay, drinking doesn't seem to work as far as my, as far as how I play. Like it's scientific. (laughs) Like it was fun, but wasn't really my thing. So alcohol was never really my thing, but shortly (laughs) thereafter was, was the eighties. And, um, and yeah, there was a lot of white powder going around. And I certainly, I certainly had my thing with it. Um, it, the, the, every, all of my friends were, were, were doing Coke and drinking, you know what I mean? That combination, that kind of combination, but I yeah. wasn't drinking. I was doing Coke and just staying awake for like days at a time. <laughs> oh my God. And which is yeah. a, which is a buzz in and of itself. And I, you know, I, I have no regrets about it. I was certainly, I mean, what I would do is I would, I would play a gig and then, and that's where I would buy some blow and I'd come home and then I just stay up all night and write music for the next you know, for the next day and then go to the gig and then come home and then write more music or whatever. So it was a, it was a prolific time while, <laughs> while it, while it lasted. But then like at a certain point I just went, um, 
like all the creativity dried up. I went into this yeah. dry spell where I couldn't, nothing would come out and I'd do, no matter how much blow I did. <laughs> <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> and so, so yeah. And so I made a decision to stop doing it. And, but it took me a year after I made that decision to actually just stop because I spent a year kind of like, you know, like taking like kind of a, a physical and mental inventory right before I would do, 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 do some lines or whatever, and then do the lines and then do another inventory and say, and, and, you know, kind of taught me like, see, you can, you, you felt okay before you did it. And now, you know, an hour later after you've been huffing lines, you, you feel like, you know, like tense and yeah. just, you know, so it's like, I kind of realized and I did some studying about how the, how the drug works. And I kind of realized like the only real high I'm getting is the, like, the only thing that, that it's, it's doing is making me want more. That's the only yeah. thing that it's doing. So yeah. I kind of like for a year kind of did it with those, that frame of mind and then just made the decision on April Fool's Day, 1988. Boom. Just going to be done. And wow. it was, and you know, and that, you know, I would, I had been talking to people and they were saying, well, you know, you gotta, you gotta check in somewhere and you gotta get rid of all your friends that do, you know, that, that are doing yeah. it, you know what I mean? And it's like, I can't do that. It's my whole, my whole band is, I can't it. play music anymore. Right, exactly. So that <laughs> With anyone. And so after the initial struggle in the beginning, it was actually like kind of good that it was, that it was all around me because, you know, at two in the morning, you know, people are like, you know, they're repeating the same story for the fifth time and they're like ratchet drawing and, and I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to bed. You know, it's kind of like, I'm so glad I'm not that anymore, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so that was the, that was the hard, that, that was the hard part. That was the, that was the, that was the thing that could have doomed me and you're just so, sitting there in the so kitchen no at 4 a.m listening to yeah. him plan businesses again for the fifth time <laughs> like what restaurant like chain are we going to open and- <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so you weren't you weren't really into the psychedelics that much i, I did i was before that and like in the late 70s I, like i had a thing where i would um i would eat acid every sunday um and <clears throat> and i and i I kind of miss that aspect of it because it was really good at like cleaning out the cobwebs and, and, you know, like, um, it really opens up like your perception of like where your, where your weaknesses are, where you're stagnant, that kind of thing. And so, so, you know, I, I was into the psychedelics for a while too. It's amazing how like reflective you are or were are about all of it. Like I would never have thought to like record myself straight and then record myself on alcohol or a journal. How I felt, you know, before I'm the opposite of you. I never, I did Coke one time and I was like, Oh, I hate this. Like (laughs) I never had a, it was terrible, but the alcohol thing really got me and enabled other things that just took me down, you know, same, but that's cool. You have a very self-reflective way of, just living. That's I cool. I guess. That's cool. I mean, at, at, I had moments of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there were other times where it was it was not reflective at all. It was just all about yeah, let's go. You know? Yeah, of course. But doing it without the alcohol <clears throat> maybe afforded you the chance to be reflective, because if you're hammered at and you're doing point. it, then you're not being reflective. You know, there's right. no way. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, I was very fortunate. You know, I have alcoholism in my family, and I'm and um, my sister's recovered for you know for like forty years. She's been a recovered alcoholic, and so I feel I know that I have addictive qualities in my personality, and I feel lucky that it's never been um, that it's, that alcohol's never been a part of that, or heroin's never been a part of that. I've always been Same like, I want to go up. I don't want to go. I don't want to go down. You know. Yeah. So. See, I want to go down, but not so far down as heroin. <clears throat> yeah, I remember hearing a James Brown song when I was really young. I really didn't know what. Well, no, I knew what sex was at that point, and it was like a rap almost. And he said that you know it's about heroin. And there was some line in it about, like, you don't even want sex anymore. I was like, well, freaking, <laughs> that drug's no good. You know, if you don't even want that, like, that should have been the, the just say no. Yeah. yeah. But I, and I also exactly. had a, a needle phobia, and I didn't realize you could smoke it or snort it or anything, because all that was, I was very innocent. But um, it kept me from heroin forever. I just, so. That's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I really got lucky. I really got lucky because I've, the, the Coke, you know, you don't see, unless someone just does 15 million hits of acid, loses their mind and never comes back. You don't see the casualties with right. weed and acid like you do with Coke and alcohol yep. and heroin, you know? I mean, you say it's reflected that I was reflected, but in the middle of the Coke thing, I mean, I was very self-destructive. I was like, yeah, I yeah, was writing sure. songs about it, you know, like mm. who gives a shit? Like I'm, I was... <laughs> I was six feet and 130 pounds at one point and, 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 you know, like not eating, not taking care of myself. And like, nobody said anything, nobody gave a shit. And I would, you know, I would, I was doing lines on stage and getting nosebleeds, you know, it was just like, yeah, I, yeah. it was, it was, I, it was bad. And, and I, and I thought, I thought nobody, nobody really gave a shit. You know, that, that was my thinking at the time. And then my sister, my older sister wrote me a letter. And, and just in the letter, she's like, listen, you're, you're killing your parents here with this worry about you, about what you're doing to yourself and blah, 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 blah. And that was like, that was like the first time somebody reached out and said, Hey, you know, I care and your parents care and you're, yeah. and there, there is somebody that cares about what's going on. And that was like this, like a slap for me that was like, Good. okay, I need to, I need to, I need to take stock here and, and figure out how to deal with this. Well, it was not that, uh, uh, well, I can't even say not that uncommon. It was totally common during that time, right? The yeah. 80s. I mean, oh, yeah. geez, Miami Vice and the whole, geez, man. And so people that I've worked with, you know, I didn't, and they didn't do it while I was with them, but I heard the stories of them like doing blow off their amp on stage at big shows, big, mm -hmm. big, big ones. Oh, you thank know? God for that letter. Yes. Yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd be, I'd be. More than likely dead. If not, how old if were not you the, at that point? Uh, that was like probably I was probably thirty at that point. Yeah, it's a good time. I think you got to cut this shit out by the time you're forty, man, or else. I see guys still rolling forties, fifties, sixties. I'm like, oh, yeah. you know, not everybody's Keith Richards and fucking Greg Allman and you know, yeah, with that iron liver. <laughs> yeah. Or could get a exactly. whole new liver, you know, yeah. start over right. again, you know, start like, over liver, yeah. I mean, third liver. Yeah, uh, man. Now that's thank God that 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 happened because, like, that's important what you just said too. Like, you know, if you think no one gives a shit, then right. why should you? Exactly. 
that's where I was at. Not a good place. Not a good place to be. Well, it warps your thinking so that you, you're not, it's not on your mind. You're always going this way more and more and more and more and more, you know? Yep. Yep. And uh, you're not even thinking about, hey, uh, so thank Well, if you God. think no one gives a shit too, it's like a double edge. That's like, it's come, it's two prong where it's like, I'll just keep doing this. And then out of spite, you almost want to do more, right. you know, because it's just like, I'll just keep destructing myself because what difference does it make? Right. Exactly. Which brings us back again to the the magical power of love, man. It's oh, just yeah. like, psh, psh, yeah. you know, and it's open that heart. It's like, hey, man, mm, yeah. did, what are we doing did, here? Did you feel that songwriting creativity kind of open back up once uh, after not, that April Fool's? Not right away. <clears throat> took some time, huh? It took, yeah. yeah, it took a long time. And I don't really know why. I would say, I mean, I would spit out something good you know, like once every couple of years or whatever, but it didn't, it never came back with the, with the, um, what's the word? Proficiency or prolific. I can't, I don't know what the word is, but, but <clears throat> more, more recently it's been better. Like, I, like in, in writing is hard. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> agonizing. Know? And, uh, especially when it comes to lyrics, and for a number of years up until probably 2016 or 2017, I felt like if somebody had come to me once, I, some of the songs I had written were written humorously, you know, they were drug oriented songs and, they, you know, they were humorous, you know, tripping in the USA, that's what I had or whatever. And somebody <laughs> emailed me one time or posted on our forum about how I was corrupting youth and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, with all, with my lyrics and stuff like that. And that kind of set like, like, you know, whatever dude, but it did make me start thinking about it. And for a number of years, like, who the hell am I to say this stuff? Who, who, what do I have to say to people? Like, why is, you know, cause people, you know, I, I do have a lot of introspective songs about change and love and what's important and what's not important or whatever. And people have come up and said, Oh, you know, your songs have really helped me. You know, you've changed my life. And you know, when I was going through hard times, you know, your music pulled me through or whatever, but it got to the point where like, well, well, who am I to tell anybody anything about how they should be or what they should think or how they should live? Like, I don't feel like I'm qualified. You know, it's, it, there's a discussion that I have with uh, my wife and others, you know, and I've heard other, I've heard other people, I've heard people say it, you know, we're, we're actors and actresses and famous people, celebrities are coming out and speaking politically. And it's like, well, well, who the fuck are you to say anything politically? You know what I mean? Like that kind of a thing. Like it's a good thing that they're doing it because they do have influence, you know, over, yeah. over their fan base. But it's yeah. like, well, are they more intelligent? Are they intelligent enough to that we should be listening to them? You know, that kind of thing. So I went through that kind of a self doubt phase, but then I don't know, 2017, I said, fuck it. I'm going to start writing whatever and just spewing stuff out and stuff started coming out and it was good. So just took yeah. some time. Yeah. You know, I think it's fine. Like, you know, I remember, uh, I forget when, who, who, uh, maybe Bush was in office or whoever, whatever Republican was in office, you know, <laughs> and someone said, ah, Sean Penn's just a fucking actor. Why I give a shit what he says? And I was like, well, what about Ronald Reagan? You're a hero, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> come yeah. on. So the whole deal is as if we're in democracy, everybody's opinion matters because they're a citizen. Yeah. 
Yes, that's so true. So you're qualified to speak as an American citizen. You have one vote, one opinion, mm-hmm. or one vote and a few opinions. You know, now I'm like, whatever. I'm not telling anybody what to do other than, you know, please don't do blow until you die. Or whatever, right, you right. Know? And like, vote, and vote. vote. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know, express your opinion, you know. Yeah, and try to have an informed one. Well, I'm glad that uh, it uh, kickstarted again, because obviously with you and Mike, it's been like super prolific yeah, again. That's been very prolific, yep. That's awesome, too. Everything's great. So with the fifth, with the anniversary, Max Creek, is anything happening? Are you guys... Uh... We did... Well, last year was the 50th for the band, and so we did a few shows. We did... We did... Um, You know, there's been... There's only... There's only one original member, and there's three members that have been there since 1972. And then there's been a floating cast of of drummers and percussionists. There's there was a, a, a female vocalist for a while or whatever. So one of the shows we did was this family reunion show, and it was, you know, we do we were doing reunion shows every year, and some of the old band members would show up and sit in or whatever. But this one was like everybody was there and so i it was on on me to do some sort of set list so that it wasn't just kind of you know like we're sitting there scratching our heads figuring out what to do next and who's going to play on it so i put together this master set list so that everybody came up and they got their three songs in the first set and their three songs in the second set and it was like this rotating cast so that was kind of fun and then we did another Another show at uh, Infinity in Hartford where we hired the horn section from West End Blend, um, which are great guys. And they rehearsed with us and composed some horn sections for our tunes and stuff. So we did that. So that's kind of like the been the – but we kind of considered every show last year to be the – 50th anniversary and maybe even some of them this year too. (laughs) It's funny. It's good that you had enough people alive to do that because, you know, and the Almond brothers and the grateful dead, like you can't get everybody together. So many of them have passed on. That's a unique experience. There's one guy that's passed on or we're a percussionist in the, who was in the band from 76 until I don't know the nineties or whatever. He's the only one that's, not with us anymore. Everybody else is still around. It's pretty amazing for a 50 year. I mean, one guy. Yeah. Wow. It's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah. Especially, especially with all the drugs we did all those years. <laughs> but that's a success though. That's I mean, a success. That's, that is a success. Yeah. yeah that's, yep. you know. Made it through. Made it yeah. through. Awesome. I We're just love the did, image man. of like Mike Gordon being the super young kid. I tell this <laughs> to my wife all the time because you know, when you, when you do, big gigs especially with guys that are really older you know they end you know it comes it's like wow what do you what am i going to do after this i faced that when the armor brothers mm-hmm. was over right. and yeah. then i realized i was like there's probably some kid out there who saw me when he was a kid and they later on down the road he's going to be really famous and be like i could have anybody i want Shit, I might. I think I'll call Teal. I saw him with ARU when I was like, you know, seventeen, and I was like, I don't know how it's going to happen. It helps me not worry. I'm like, all right, just you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, some young guy transcribing your stuff. That's cool, man. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a band now that's that's a tribute to Max Creek. I'm from friends with, I became friends with them, but but it's like, okay, so somebody's doing a tribute to, you know, and they're playing my songs or whatever. And it's kind of 
That's awesome. It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Like that, that's yeah. kind of that's kind of a full circle thing. So he, the, the, the guitar awesome. player is actually he's cool. He and he does has his own project where he writes music, and I think I'm going to produce his next album or whatever. But oh, that's but, so cool. But it's kind of cool. He gave me a shirt. Something is forming. Tribute to Max Creek. I wear that at the at our shows all the time. It's like nice. yeah, wow. we have our own tribute band. Nice. That is a real like feather in your cap. And tribute bands do well. A friend of mine was just telling me there's this ABBA tribute band that's been out for a long time. They just sold out the Hollywood Bowl again. Like, I don't think there's anybody from ABBA. There may be one. No, I don't think there's anybody from it. It's a, tri- a total tribute band. Wow. And they're selling that's out incredible. the Hollywood Bowl. They're selling out people. That's <laughs> like, incredible. Yeah, yeah that's so wild. to even have a tribute band at all is, I can't even conceive of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They accuse me of being in tribute bands when I'm with the friggin' Almond Brothers and Dead Company. I'm like, what do I got to do, man? Like, <laughs> thank you so much, Scott. This is awesome. Oh, this thanks for having me. It's a real honor to be on your 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 podcast. I've I've been picking and choosing and watching the other ones, and they're so good. Looks so good people oh, on there. Sweet. Yeah, yeah we favorites. try to leave with our hearts, and yeah. you know, it's great. It's like, Great. We go for walks every episode, right? <laughs> we go for walks and we say no money, no no restrictions. What would it be? There so. you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. What a cool thing. Thank you well, for man. spending time with us today, man. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Absolutely, right. dude. Love you. Is there anything? Where can everybody find all things Scott Morowski and new albums? Anything? What you doing? Uh, doing the same old, same old. Well, Max Creek's playing Levon's for the Halloween weekend, which I love that nice. place. Nice. And, I uh, still haven't played there. Man, I got to get in there. Have the you barn. been there? Have you seen the room? I, I haven't even been. It's, I've it's played like, with Levon, but I've never been to the barn. It's like, it's it's nothing like it, but it reminds me of Great American Music Hall in San Francisco. Oh, cool. Because, because it, yeah. and it's nothing like it. It's like a, it's kind of a smaller room and it's very barn-like. It's very, it sounds really warm because of all the wood and everything, but just the atmosphere dripping off the walls of everything that's, that's everybody that's played there and, and everything yeah. that's happened in there. It's like that, it has that feeling to it that, you know, the, the dressing room downstairs is like, there's, you know, Levon, the band's gold records and pictures of Levon with every human being you can Everybody. think of. And, and the, the staff is super nice. And the audience is like, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty much sitting down and super attentive. And it's just very like intimate and you just feel close to everybody in there. It's really an amazing venue, amazing place. It's beautiful. Awesome. Yeah. Looking for that. So, looking forward to that. So you said there's a new album coming out or you have one in the can with Mike that hasn't come out Mike yet? Mike has one. Yeah. I don't know if I'm supposed to say anything about it, but okay, yeah, well, we, could- we, we recorded it. We, we were supposed to go right at the beginning of the pandemic. We were supposed to go into the studio with the band and record. And then they, they said, nope, you're not doing, you know, you're not doing anything like that. So we basically, I think it's okay to say that they're, that we, recorded the album all individually, you know, all separately where they would Mm. send sessions around to everybody and we would all add our, you know, we had, we had all the demos ready to go. And then, so we just took the demos and replaced what was on the demos with, with our real instruments and vocals and whatnot. And so did the album that way. And so, yeah, so that should be coming out beginning of next year, I believe. So awesome. Awesome. Hopefully a tour follows. Yes. 
Yeah. More dates. It's open yes. back up. <laughs> well, I love you, man. It's so good to see I you. I love you, too. It's so good to hear see that you, voice. Too. I miss you. Same here. We're thanks gonna, for having me. It really, really means a lot. And I apologize for any sort of rambling I did. <laughs> no, man. Honor. Like like Yorma said, life is all in the tangents. Nice. <laughs> good. Yeah. That's good. Cool. See everybody next time. All right. Thank you. Osiris. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.